2: Welcome back to episode 66 of the Ancient World podcast. So in this episode, we're going to talk about, um, we had a discussion this week with a a very uh, distinguished, renowned professor in religion and philosophy. And we were discussing how Dante's work, uh, the overall picture, how he manages to blend the Greek philosophy with the Christian tradition and the biblical stories. So, it started, and this is also taking a bit step back after what we've done in the last couple of months with the, all the stories from the comedy, with the whole work of the comedy, and then seeing the scholasticism and the work that started with Thomas Aquinas to incorporate the Greek philosophy into the Catholic tradition. And so, the big question is, where does Dante really stand on this? So, we started with a few questions, which was the following. Can, is or can the Catholic Church fully embrace the comedy as a work of true Christian theolo- theology? And then, how religious might Dante have been himself, in your estimation? This was my question. It seems like he sometimes lands on faith, sometimes on pure love, sometimes on metaphysics and philosophy. I struggle to find where he really stands in terms of his religious convictions. This has been a long-standing uh, a wonder, because it's he Dante describes the different parts, but then often it feels like it's mostly a love poem to Beatrice, or a love poem to philosophy in general, and then like an equal. The way he he describes the Greek myth or the biblical stories is is put on an equal footing in some sense, and then it's uh, <laughs> you you're often left with a wonder. Like, what is his true true beliefs? Uh, and then also we wanted to know about the, the ending of the Paradiso when Dante looks up and then he sees the, the Trinity or the divine light, which is the following quote. I saw the great light shine into three circles in three clear colors bound in one same space. The first seemed to reflect the, the next like rainbow on rainbow. And the third was like a flame equally breathed forth by the other two. So this is symbolic of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But it's also a, a concept from Plato. But then he continues with saying, like When he had looked deep into it, a while seemed in itself and in its own self-color to be depicted with man's very image. My eyes were totally absorbed in it. So this is Dante describing how we can see an image of a man in, in the divine light, which is one way of, of uh, mixing or blending the Plato concept with the Catholic and Biblical. Uh, man, like divinity in man. But then also the last sentence in the whole work of the comedy is uh, that he's will and desire is impelled by the love that moves the sun and the other stars and that is the definition from aristotle of the first mover which sets the whole world and existence into into movement so this is uh, this was the third question then so this reminds of the plato and aristotle version of divinity and maybe more than the uh, presentation of the lord in the bible so then what is Where does Dante and his scholasticism land in the final? (laughs) If you want to try to to make the final conclusion. So, here is uh, part of the answer. We got this long, very, very interesting and uh, and generous answer. So, the response from the professor was this. I read Dante as the greatest imaginative presentation of a certain kind of philosophical Christianity, stemming ultimately from Augustine, which is a central thread of Western Christianity, but not always fully biblical. In this regard, Dante is certainly more at home in Catholicism than in Protestantism, because his theology is basically that of Thomas Aquinas, who was himself deeply influenced by Augustine. Dante is indeed sincerely and deeply religious, but he is also not an authority on Christian doctrine, unlike Augustine and Aquinas, who are important authorities for the Roman Catholic Church. He has, however, been deeply influential on the Catholic imagination, also on the imagination of many Protestants like T.S. Eliot and C.S. Lewis. His powerful imagination of purgatory helped make the doctrine of purgatory a well-entrenched part of Catholicism, I think. Dante certainly didn't invent the doctrine, but his presentation of it was so imaginatively powerful that it stuck. So did his presentation of the limbo, of virtuous pagans and unbaptized infants, early in the Inferno. It took a very subtle and informed doc- doctrinal theologian, Pope Benedict the Fourteenth, sorry the Sixteenth, to point out the notion of limbo. Though widely accepted, was never binding Catholic doctrine. So you can be a good Catholic and not believe in it, despite Dante. Um. Again, like the purgatory is standing out a little bit from the two other worlds, both the inferno and the paradise are, are timeless words, worlds. Well, purgatory has uh, the sun is rising and setting. He has three days, and he climbs up the mountain, and it it's more concrete, it's more practical, and it gives you advice. It it describes how the atonement in the afterlife, but it also is full of practical advice for your own life, like today. And it's also very kind of natural. It's full of natural beauty and poetry of, of natural scenes and the, the morning dew on the grass and, and the skies with the suns uh, like these emerald colors of the sunlight and everything. So uh, in the response, uh, this continues. And yet, by the way, if you're going to imagine purgatory, then I'd highly recommend following Dante. It's very different from the way purgatory was preached three centuries later, as Martin Luther was growing up, when purgatory was just like the hell, except it didn't last forever. It was full of demons and torture. Dante's purgatory, by contrast, has no devils in it, but literally an a- angel around every corner. This is when he climbs the seven terraces. There's always an angel at the end of it who, who is giving some advice and is also brushing off one of the seven uh, letters of the piece that he has in, on his forehead, which before, when he enters, he gets seven pieces on his forehead. And then for the Italian word of peccato, which is sin, so it's like seven marks of sin. And then every terrorist, is, one is brushed off by the, wing, the wings of an angel. And then it continues. <clears throat> it's full of music and people helping each other, both by teaching and by prayer. If that was how purgatory was preached in Luther's day, we might not have needed a reformation. I don't myself think that purgatory ought to be taught as Christian doctrine, but I don't object to it as a form of Christian imagination if it's imagined in Dante's way. So here is the complication for me. Dante is imagining a form of philosophical Christianity that I find very attractive in many ways, but not really biblical. I am a Protestant, so this is the viewpoint of the professor, So I'm a Protestant who thinks that Christian teaching needs to be based on the Bible. So there's a lot I love about Dante the Poet, but quite a bit I hesitate about in Dante the Theologian. The vision of God at the very end of the comedy is a good example of this. On the one hand, it presents, in my estimation, the very best analogy for the conceptual structure of the doctrine of the Trinity that's ever been drawn from the senses. Just imagine a circle with three colors, each of which fills the whole circle. Yet each color is perfectly distinct, which, of course, is not possible. An incoherence that matches the incomprehensible truth that the one God is each of these three inseparable persons who are nonetheless fully distinct from each other. And then to add the incarnation, imagine that the middle color is actually flesh colored because it has a human face. You can't picture it any better than that, precisely because the picture is impossible in the right way, showing why the Trinity is above all picturing. This is also the final moments where Dante is saying, his eyes, eyes are absorbed in this image, he sees. He continues, As the geometer who tries so hard to square the circle, but cannot discover, think as he may, the principle involved, so did I strive with this new mystery. So this is uh, this way of, of describing or expressing that you, you cannot fully describe with this, this vision he has in the same way that you can't make a square out of the same area with the same area as a circle with just a compass and a ruler, which was a big, big challenge for the mathematicians at the time. And they they concluded partly at the time that it was not possible, which has later been uh, proven with all the kinds of mathematics. So then, here comes another uh, perspective on the whole work of the comedy. And yet, on the other hand, I disagree with the notion that the goal of human existence is to climb up to the top of heaven to have a vision of the Trinity. In the Bible, I think it's pretty clear that we don't climb up to God but he climbs down to us in the incarnation in the descent of the heavenly Jerusalem at the end of the book of revelation in answer to our prayer thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven in the bible we don't ascend to god in heaven but god descends to us as the creed reminds us he will come again in glory as judge of heaven and earth we are not waiting to go to heaven we are waiting for the heavenly kingdom come to us. And this also reference uh, reference to the to the Bible Colossians 3 verse 1 to 4. So, uh, and the final conclusion here so much as I love Dante's poetry and it has informed the it has informed been informed by Christian imagination there are fundamental aspects in which I want to imagine differently because I think the Bible wants us imagining differently less philosophical less about ascending to the knowledge of God and more about God descending to give himself to us in the flesh of Christ. And then he has references to his uh, to a new book about the doctrine of, of the Trinity. So um, it was a very it's full of interesting things and it confirmed some of the, the suspicions while reading it that as much as Dante is is blending the Catholic tradition with the Greek philosophy, for a Greek philosopher that would be fine. But for the Catholic tradition, there is a problem that he is not fully kind of falling in line in some sense with with the uh, the religious like the the doctrines or the the scripture, and he's taking some freedoms in the way he's uh, describing things and presenting and also even in the, in the final moments of the whole journey. So, but still it's, um, what Dante is trying to do with his work. And this was the the big challenge around the year 1300, like after the, the 1200s, when he wrote this was to create a, a work that, that blends it. So it's like both parts is seen as part of a whole. And, um, Still, maybe in some ways Dante is doing it in the only way that's possible, <laughs> that you you both do it, but you don't fully do it, but kind of you do it anyhow. And then <laughs> it's accepted in, in all the different areas and it becomes this one unite, uniting work of literature that describes and puts together the, the wholeness of culture and history and tradition and philosophy and heritage from over 2,000 years into one poem and one journey so uh, and also as you can see in this case even then a person who is comes from the viewpoint of being religious appreciates the beauty and the the artistic parts of of the comedy so um, that's all we're going to talk about in, in this episode so hope you have enjoyed some of this and uh, maybe some of you also have the same kind of questions about if Dante is really uh, if it's it's Christian literature or if it's philosophy or how much of each part so I just want to again a big thank you to the professor who was so uh, generous to write this answer and then uh, to all of you who are listening and um, hope you have a great day and see you again soon